One thing that I just want to say is uh, something that I've noticed is you do have something special going here. Uh, it's really great to see a group of people love one another and actually want to be together and uh, in seemingly enjoy one another. And I think you have a, a great pastoral team. And uh, um, I, think, I think you're well positioned to uh, extend uh, this ministry to your community. Uh, you have everything that you need to do it. And the question is, is are, do you want to do it? Do you want to invite more to taste and see that the Lord is good? And I, I would uh, really encourage you to, to pray about that and to encourage one another in that and to make uh, your church the most welcoming church in San Jose and uh, welcome your friends. Make every Sunday a great Sunday to invite a friend and, uh, and enjoy the good gift God's given you. We're continuing our, um, our little series here, and we've we're been working through the whole of the Bible, and we've been talking about telling the story of the Bible and finding our place in that story. And we've talked about uh, Acts 1 and Acts 2 and Acts 3. I, I hope you enjoyed this morning the, the, the glorious uh, events of Acts 4 and the, the inauguration of the kingdom of God. And we're going to leave Act 5 for tomorrow, and I want to talk a little bit about Act 6. Um, and uh, so t tonight's message will be, uh, I I've entitled it, Redemption at Last. Uh, redemption in its fullness at last. And uh, this is uh, all about Act 6 of this uh, great six-act play. I hope the motif has been helpful for you. I, I don't know um, if there have been, uh, an, has been another time in my life uh, that quite compared to uh, a couple Fridays ago with my sons and my wife out to dinner. Um, we uh, had a, uh, a dinner at a place that served crepes. And uh, my, my middle son and my youngest son were with us on vacation. My eldest son had already gone off to college. And uh, we went to a crepe place because my middle son has all of a sudden fallen in love with crepes. It just so happens that he has a girlfriend now, and she made him crepes, and now all of a sudden he likes crepes. So, now, <laughs> so the family went out for, for crepes, and, um, and we found a great uh, crepe restaurant that when we were, um, when we were on uh, vacation. It turned out that crepes are quite expensive. And, <laughs> and uh, we had sort of a breakfast for dinner crepe, and uh, it, was, it was very, very good. But the boys were excited about the crepes, and so... I said, you know, go for it. Get whatever you want uh, in, and enjoy. And so we, we really did enjoy some great uh, breakfast crepes for dinner. But then came uh, dessert. And my middle son had the Europa crepe. And the Europa crepe uh, is uh, this just very delicately made uh, uh, crepe. It had fresh seasonal fruit in it and Nutella. And it was sort of drizzled with... Um, uh, just a, a beautiful chocolate that was that was done beautifully, and some powdered sugar, and uh, it, it was it was magnificent. They gave us four forks, and we all kind of worked on it a little bit. But every bite was uh, was just an utter uh, delight. My my younger son, uh, uh, he ordered the uh, Austria crepe, and uh, it's sort of a strudel style crepe. If you can think about it that way, it had a cinnamon caramelized apple. And, uh, and every, to, to say every bite was excellent would be an understatement. It was, uh, it, was, it was fantastic. It made me want to go buy some lederhosen, you know? I just, 
It was one, it was one of those uh, experiences. And as we uh, shared the, the dish, my, my younger son said this to me. He said, Dad, I think we have our foretaste of the new heavens and new earth. Now, there's few things a son can say to a pastor dad. <laughs> that, would, that would encourage him more. But I thought, honestly, it was such a, it was such a special moment for, for me because um, it meant to me that he was thinking about um, what we were made for. And uh, we were sitting there all together. We had actually uh, had prayer. We always pray when we go out to, to dinner, and we, and we acknowledged the lordship of, of, of God and invited him to be with us. We had a delightful uh, conversation together. Um, we were all relaxed. We were hungry, but not overly hungry. We weren't. The service was good. It was actually one of those moments where you felt like the, the new heavens and the new earth was rushing into are present. And, and I, I would say that as we ate the Europa crepe and as we ate the Austria crepe, um, we were worshiping. That there was, there was something that was, uh, that was, that was just special that uh, God met us in that moment. And I wonder if you think about times like that in your own lives where uh, maybe it's just, maybe it was just two minutes ago you felt a little something special when we were singing that all of a sudden the, the guitars ended and we were just praising uh, the name of Yahweh and shouting his name and enjoying that together. Maybe that was for you a moment. And, and sometimes there are just these moments where, you know, and, and we get these little bit of flickers of what we were made for and where we're all together, where we're acknowledging the God who made us, where, where his grace is, is coming down upon us. And we just flat out enjoy that. And I would just say that... Uh, a couple of weeks ago, Friday, when we sat and we ate these crepes together, I felt like I was like that the, the future had come rushing into the present, and I was experiencing the new heavens and the new earth. So my son, I think, made a, a very important theological observation. Of course, I was very proud of him in, in doing so. But Paul hints at that in this in, in Acts of the Apostles, but he does so even more dramatically if you read Romans or you read 1 Corinthians, especially 1 Corinthians 15. Paul, but by that time, when he, reads, when he writes Romans and 1 Corinthians, he's had time to really, really chew on this. We're, we're sort of getting Paul you know, in the beginning of his, of his uh, conversion, of his experience with Jesus, and it really sort of flushes out over time. But Paul makes this point about uh, Acts 6, about what is before us, about the hope that we, we have before us. And, and, um, and the thing that he makes clear is that the hope of the historic Christian faith is not harps on clouds. And it's uh, not growing wings and becoming an angel. The hope of the historic Christian faith is bodily resurrection life in the new heavens and new earth. Whole life, embodied life, material life, glorified life. And if there's, if there's one thing that I think that the American church lacks is an appreciation for Acts 6. Uh, to, to, to really, really, really understand uh, the hope that we have. So we're continuing with this six-act six motif uh, tonight. And my focus here is going to be try to be like a laser beam on Act 6. And I want, I want it to be on Act 6 because 
you're, you're going to play a part in Act 6, but the next 30 or 40 or 50 years in your life, maybe the next 20 years, who knows the number of years, is going to be in Act 5. And if you're going to be an actor in Act 5, and if we want to win that Tony, if you remember what the whole motif that we're using, is that you're going to, tomorrow when we leave, my commissioning for you is to be Act 5 people, to go out and to, and to have that Tony Award winning performance. Now, I don't mean faking it like you're acting. I mean living life and living in the fullness of what you are and who you are. And so I want to give you a real strong sense. I want to just remind you what the scriptures tell us about what it is that we're destined for. And it doesn't look like harps and, 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 uh, and clouds and, uh, and, and an immaterial life. We're destined for... Uh, resurrection life, and uh, so I want to I want to sort of help you see that in the scriptures and help you uh, see your part. It's not enough just to know your history. It's an, it, you got to know where it is that you're heading. And so if I could if I could do honestly, I, I've been working on it for ten years at the church. I, I planted a church ten years ago in Marin County, and I've been working on this point for the last ten years. And I would say forty percent of the people in our church get it. And so tonight, I'm, I'm, guess, I'm hoping that I'll do more than 10%. But if actually, if one of you gets the vision for what God has for us, I will be incredibly grateful to God. And I hope that 100% of us get it, because this is important. Let me tell you how uh, embedded uh, a Platonistic view of uh, our future is. Plato uh, believed that there was the real world, which was the immaterial world, and the material world, and that the, the shadow world was really the real world, and that our physical world really just didn't matter very much. That really wasn't it. And I would say that um, most the, the most common um, uh, refrain that you get from Christians, that you get from Christian television that you get from sort of a colloquial view in the media of what Christianity is, that you get from Looney Tunes, that you get from a lot of old hymns, is a Platonistic view of the new of, of what we're destined for. That we that the ultimate goal of the the of uh, the Christian life is to go to heaven when you die, and I would say that um, I, just to sort of paraphrase one of my favorite theologians is it's uh, he says that heaven's a really good thing, but it's not the end of the story. That there's something actually that, that we're looking forward to, that God's space and our space becomes one. That's the, that's the goal, and that's where we're headed. And so if I could yell one thing from the rooftop to American Christianity, I would say that, that ultimately we're not headed for an ethereal, uh, non-corporeal experience in another worldly place. We're not. That's not what the historic Christian gospel is all about. Ultimately, if you belong to Jesus, what you're headed for is resurrection life. You're headed for bodily, renewed, perfected resurrection life in a renewed and restored earth with God, our maker. And we're going to see that, that God is jealous for his plan A to be completed and that God is jealous to be with us and it's grievous to God to not be with us the way he wants us to be, and he's shaping and molding us to be, that God's space and our space will be one. We pray that all the time, don't we? Do you ever pray the Lord's Prayer? I hope you pray it often. Uh, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. I want your name to be hallowed. Thy kingdom come. What we're asking for is that God's kingdom would come. 
And how will we know when God's kingdom comes? When, when does God's kingdom come? When God's will in heaven is done on earth. And sometimes we get a little taste of that, don't we? I was, I was trying to tell you about when we were eating dinner that, that, that I, there was a smell of new creation. There was a foretaste. It was, it was, have you ever had a good hors d'oeuvre where it was just prepared you for the, for the feast that was ahead of you? And when the will of God in heaven, in God's space, is done on earth, uh, God's kingdom comes. And it, it may be only a momentary synchronicity, right, to quote Sting. It may only be for a moment, but when we taste it and we know it, that's what our destiny is for, that the, that the will of God would be done perfectly on earth as it is in heaven. And that's what it will be when God's space and our space become one. The greatest prayer that it's ever prayed is the, is the Lord's prayer. And do you know what you're praying when, you, when you're doing that. Sometimes we get it temporarily, and uh, it's a glorious thing. I think we've had it a little bit here this weekend. That's kind of been my experience, and it's exciting that, 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 that we're conforming our will to his will, and that he shows up, and he's with us, and we, and we smell a little bit of that, and then we, when we go somewhere else. But one day we'll have it uh, in its completion. So let's look at the text that, uh, and, and consider Acts 6. And we're, we're the, the text that I had uh, suggested for today is, comes from Acts chapter 3, the book Acts of the Apostle chapter 3, and then Revelation 21. And so we'll look at Acts chapter 3, verses 17 through 27, and then Revelation 21, verses uh, 1 through 5. So in our passage, Peter is the one, so we've been hearing a lot from Paul, but in this passage, Peter's the one uh, speaking. He's speaking to a group of onlookers who had just seen uh, him performing miracles. God had given Peter, after the, he pours out his Holy Spirit, he gave some of his apostles some special powers for a season, and e- people were being healed, even being in the shadow of Peter. And so he was trying to explain to the people who had gathered, these onlookers, what was going on. And uh, he, says, he says this, among other things, beginning in Acts chapter 3, verse 17. He says, now, brothers, I want you to know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders. Now, he's talking about the crucifixion. He says, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold all the prophets, saying that the, that the Christ would suffer. And then he continues speaking to these onlookers. He says, He says, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Christ who he has appointed, even Jesus. He must remain in heaven, his space, until the time comes for God to restore everything, as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from among his people. Indeed, all the prophets from Samuel on, as many as have spoken, have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said this to Abraham, through your offspring, all the peoples on the earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. And then in Revelation 21, we have a a little excerpt from the the very end of Revelation. Revelation means uh, the unveiling. Uh, God uh, gave 
the Apostle John a very special uh, little season. He unveiled for John uh, the glory of our future, and, and, and John recorded that in Revelation 21, and he, and he put it this way. He said, then I saw uh, a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. A little side note here. It's not that there's not going to be an ocean. Uh, the sea in the Old Testament was chaos, right? It was, a, it was a motif and a picture of chaos. And so don't worry. In the new heavens and new earth, you will swim in the ocean, right? We will experience the, the, the beauty and the, and the joy of, uh, of the oceans and the waters, okay? So don't, don't, uh, don't hear that the wrong way. Uh, I just did a sermon series on Revelation, and the very question... The, the, the most oft-asked question was, what do you mean there's going to be no sea? I love the sea. How could there be no sea in the new heavens and new earth? It means chaos. It doesn't mean the ocean, all right? <laughs> and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven for God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eye. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Now I don't have, uh, for those of you who have theological training or think about these things, I don't have an eschatological hobby horse here. Okay? I am uh, not a millennial buff. I don't want to talk about pre-mill, ah-mill, post-mill, whatever mill you want to talk about. I actually don't want to talk about that. I'm, I have almost zero interest in my theology about that, let alone your theology about that. But you're happy to discuss it, and I'm happy to listen to you if you'd like to talk about it. I'm, I'm more of a pan-mill. Everything's going to pan out in the end is really what, how, how I feel about it. What I, what I want to talk about is the ultimate, what, what God is ultimately going to do, and what all God is ultimately going to do, and we don't know exactly how it's going to come. We don't know exactly when it's going to come, but what God is ultimately going to do is he's going to restore all things. He's going to put the world right. Uh, we will have new bodies. They're called resurrection bodies. Um, Jesus has a resurrection body. Uh, they say in the, in the scriptures that Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection. We live pretty close to wine country, don't we? What is, do you know what a first fruit is all about? A first fruit celebration? The first fruits are brought in. It's, a, it's the most beautiful, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful new fruit, and, it's, and it's, a, it's a foretaste to a harvest that's to come. And so Jesus... Right now, the risen Jesus has a body. I don't know if you think about that very much, but Jesus is still the God-man. He is the resurrected God-man. In his glory, Jesus has a body. If Jesus came to be with us uh, physically, we could hug him. We could see the holes in his hands. We could be like uh, Thomas. But uh, Jesus is a huggable person right now, in, and he's reigning. And it says in the scriptures that we will have new bodies. Um, it says in the scriptures that, that uh, we'll desire and, honor, and to honor God in all things. In other words, our, our uh, natures will be made new. 
uh, we will no longer be sinful people. Our desires will always be for the good of our neighbor. Our desires will always be for the honor and the glory of God. We will be fully human persons. Our destiny is not as angels. My grandmother is dead. Uh, My grandmother uh, was a Christian. My grandmother's body is in the grave. My grandmother's soul is in God's space, heaven. What does, that, what does that look like? We don't know all that much. The Bible doesn't actually talk about it all that much. We know it's a pleasant place. We know it's, a, it's an intermediate place. We know it's a stop along the way. What my, my grandmother most looks forward to is resurrection life. That one day her body, her new body, and soul will be reunited. And you know what? Because of God's grace and mercy, not because of my... Um, theology, not because of my good works, but one day, out of God's grace and mercy, I will hug my grandmother in the new heavens and the new earth. I can't wait to see the glory of my grandmother, because I only remember my grandmother in her, in her broken body, and it was a very broken body when she died, but one day, I'll see her, and I'll hug her, and I will be very, very glad. We will never lock our doors again. Uh, the oceans and the rivers will never have mine sludge. Did you see that mine that was breached the, or the other day? There was a, a river in Colorado where there's, a, there, there's an old gold mine, and the EPA was doing some work on it, and they breached the, uh, the, the uh, mound that was holding back the sludge, and it just, it just totally polluted uh, the river. There will never be mine sludge in our rivers. Um, the fish will enjoy fresh water and will enjoy the, the kind of uh, uh, environments that they were made for. Our bodies will never have cancer. I don't know what it's like in the South Bay, but there's a very, very high incidence of breast cancer in Marin County. And uh, there's so many women who are, uh, who are struggling with breast cancer, and there's so many people facing, I hate cancer. We've lost uh, two people this year. In, the, uh, in our congregation, we're only 150 people on Sunday when we're, when we're really humming. And uh, two people is a lot of people for us. And we've lost four in total in the last year. And it's been, it's been horrible. There will be no more death or dying or pain because the old order will have passed. Death is, is a reality of the fall. Uh, death is not what we were made for. We were made for life and life and bodily life. Uh, I love a good hug. I love a good handshake, and a good hug, and a good handshake, a godly good hug, and godly handshake, right, is a a foretaste of our uh, Act 6 bodies and Act 6 people. Is it possible for you to imagine a life free from sin's penalty? I hope that's true. You are. If you're in Christ, uh, there's no penalty for you. You're free from sin's penalty. But can you imagine a life that's free from sin's power? The, the Spirit of Christ does live in you. If you belong to Christ, the Spirit of Christ lives in you. And the Spirit of Christ is helping you to take off the old man, the old person, and to put on the new. And I don't know about you, but sometimes the old clothes just have a hard time coming off. Is it, 
I think uh, C.S. Lewis wrote a book about how, you know, peeling off the layers is, you know, and the, they use the imaginary of just peeling off and, the, and, and uh, Aslan taking his finger. And, and sometimes when we have to peel off those layers, it is so painful to peel off the layers of the old man and so hard to do. Can you imagine a life where you're free from the power of sin? And how about uh, imagining a life free from the presence of sin altogether, that you never have to go to work on your guard, that there will never be a bully at school, that genocide will be no more, that lying will be no more, that deception will be no more, that positioning will be no more, that manipulation will be no more. I'm convinced that we don't spend enough time imagining that life. What would it take for me to encourage you to spend an hour? We don't, it's, it's not that we have too little imagination as Christian people. We actually have, uh, or too much imagination as Christian people. We have way too little. We take way, we're way too careful thinking, well, it's all going to work out. No. <laughs> yes, it's all going to work out. And God's actually given us a picture of what's all going to work out. We actually know way more than we think we do about how it's all going to work out. We know way less than is completely satisfying. And is your dog going to be there? And, blah, 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 blah. and how is, what's your relationship going to be like with your spouse? I don't know all that stuff. But here's what I do know. That um, in the new heavens and new earth, my wife and I are just going to celebrate um, the, the goodness of God in our lives. And we're, we're going to celebrate uh, the moments where God in his mercy has allowed us to minister to one another. We're going to tell stories. I, I, I just, when I think of the new heavens and new earth, I can't wait for the stories. Uh, because I think everyone we're made, we're, there's not going to be a person that you meet that's not going to have a magnificent story of redemption. Sometimes people say to me, I have a very boring testimony. There is not one of us here who a, has a boring testimony. Did you listen to Acts 1 through 4? Did you see what Jesus had to do to redeem you? Do you know what the lengths to which Jesus went to bring redemption? There is nobody here, whether you've been a Christian your whole life, this is not a boring story. And what we're going to do is get to tell each other, not just the stories of that day or that time in which I became saved, but we're going to tell about the, the redemption and the way that God uh, in his mercy and in his grace and in his long-suffering, put up with you. And then there were those times where we changed. And maybe nobody got to celebrate it with you, but you know what? When the new heavens and new earth comes, we're going to have lots of parties. Did you hear that party that I talked about this morning where there's going to be feasts, the finest meats, the, the greatest wine? There's going to be parties. And when, we're, when we have parties, we're going to get up and somebody's going to tell their story. And it'll take your breath away to hear the stories. In fact, it says in 1 Peter that when, 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 one's, when a sinner comes to faith and when, when people see or when the angels see uh, what God is doing in, in changing us and in bringing us to faith, it takes the angel's breath away. They can't stand it, that it's so, it's so wonderful to them. Have you imagined 
this day that you were made for. It's the day that the prophets talked about. Have you ever taken time to, to really imagine the world renewed and restored and to be uh, free in this way? I want to just encourage you to do it. That is your destiny. Uh, Act 5, I'm going to just give you a little preview. Act 5 is preparing for that. When, when, the, when the Masters is, takes place every year at Augusta Country Club, um, they, uh, have a, they shoot a practice round. And the practice round is all about preparing for the glory <laughs> of the Masters Tournament. Has anybody ever been to the Masters Tournament? It is, it is glorious. It's a glorious, glorious occasion. And uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful event. And, but they, they take very seriously the practice round before the Masters because um, they're practicing for what they were made for. They're practicing for this magnificent thing. And Act 5 is about practicing, becoming more and more like your future glory self. There will be a day where you, if we were to see your glorified self, any, any of you right now, we were talking about this at dinner, and C.S. Lewis put it this way, if, if I were to see your glorified self today, we'd be, we, we would be tempted to worship you. Your future is not as an angel. Your future is as a fully human person. A couple of years ago, on the side of a, a Starbucks cup, they, used, they were putting quotes. And uh, I don't know if you saw one particular quote that I'm going to share with you. It's a, it was by a, an LA Times writer by the name of Joel uh, Stein. And he was writing about heaven. And uh, he put it this way. He said, uh, heaven is totally overrated. It seems boring. Clouds, listening to people play the harp. It should be somewhere that we can't wait to go, like a luxury hotel. Maybe blue skies and soft music were enough to keep people in line in the 17th century. But heaven has to step it up a bit. They're basically just getting by because they only have to be a little bit better than hell. <laughs> Now, it's kind of a funny quote, honestly, and it's based on a very popular uh, version of Act 6, that when we die, we go to heaven, and we're in some sort of ethereal paradise, uh, and that uh, we live uh, in the clouds, and we are looking down, smiling upon uh, our, the, the people that are left behind, and... Um, and honestly, it, it, it's based on a Platonic view of, uh, of, uh, of end things. I, I'm convinced that Looney Tunes, okay, you remember Looney Tunes, they're the, the cartoons, and every time somebody dies in Looney Tunes, they grow wings and they're on, they play a harp on a cloud. I'm convinced that Looney Tunes uh, shapes more of our understanding of what our future is than the Bible does. And... Uh, and that's a real shame. And so I'm trying to give a little bit of a push against that. The Bible spends a lot more time talking about our ultimate redemption than this intermediate stage. So there is this intermediate stage. If, if you were to die, if you are to die before the Lord returns, your body will go in the ground. Um, you can look in the Westminster Confession. Uh, Sue Song can help you through that. Your body will go in the ground and your, and your soul will go into, into God's space, into, into, into heaven, Okay. Um, and it will be, it, it will be paradise-like, um, but it, it's not the end game. The end game is resurrection life. And uh, like I said, I can't wait to see 
my grandmother, and uh, I pray that my parents will come to faith and that I'll spend eternity with them. It's a, it's a, a big burden uh, for me, and I pray that you and I will look back on this time and we'll celebrate and we'll say, it's finally here. And uh, I hope, I can't wait for that day. And I can't wait for you to share your story. And that's why I want you to share your story now. Don't wait until the new heavens and new earth. Celebrate the good things that God is doing now. So let's take a little bit closer look at the text. Uh, First, the the text from uh, Acts chapter 3 in in verse 19. uh, Peter says to the people, the onlookers there, he says, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Paul is, uh, or excuse me, Peter is admonishing those who are gathered that that day that the prophets spoke about has actually come. It's just not come in its fullness. And so it means that, that uh, the, the freedoms of Act, of Act 6, of, of the new heavens and the new earth, have actually, we can actually realize some of those today, that there are, there are times of refreshing. I don't know if you've ever confessed your sins to God and heard God's word to, to, to give you uh, uh, confidence that your sins are forgiven, but I, I certainly have done that, and we do that every week in worship at Grace Church of Marin, and it's always the highlight for many of our people. They, they can't not come and hear and have a time where we confess our sins, and the greatest privilege for me is to stand and say, uh, if your faith is in Jesus Christ, uh, you can know that, uh, that your sins are forgiven. And uh, there's new life, honestly, that comes and a renewal of life that comes. And that's exactly what, what Peter's trying to say is that uh, even now there can be these times of refreshing that anticipate a time of total refreshing that is to come. I rem- I'm reminded constantly that I'm free from the performance prison that I have. Pastors oftentimes feel performance um, uh, pressures on them. And um, and by God's grace, I, I feel like, you know what, I, I, I don't really, I, I want you to like me, but it doesn't matter, honestly, if you don't like me, that uh, I do know uh, who I belong to. And so, yeah, I want, I want you to like me because I want to be a blessing to you, but if you don't, I'm still okay. Uh, and that's a big step for me. <laughs> He continues, Peter continues, he says in verse 21, he must remain in heaven, which is God's space, until the time comes for God to restore everything, as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. So you wonder why I wanted to spend time on Act 1 and Act 2 and Act 3 and Act 4 is because the prophets foretold that God foretold of what it would be like, of what he was ultimately going for. Paul, Paul is hinting, and he makes it very clear. Read Romans 8 if you have time, or read 1 Corinthians 15 if you have time. But the vision of the prophets that they talked about was that day that would come, the, the, the day of the Lord. And what he's saying is that in the resurrection of Jesus, the day of the Lord is guaranteed. In fact, it's come. It's just not come in its fullness. I don't know if you've ever been standing on the uh, a platform of a, platform waiting for the train, maybe BART, or you've been in New York City and you're waiting for uh, the subway to come, and it seems like it'll never come, right? You you look down the corridor, and it just seems like it'll never come. But then finally, you look down the corridor, and there's a light coming toward you. And what what I want you to know is that in the resurrection of Jesus, the light 
has been shown, right? We're looking down the corridor, and the new heavens and the new earth are rushing toward us. The light has come on. The train is coming. And what we're doing is we're waiting for that train to come in its fullness. And uh, I, I don't know if that metaphor is helpful for you, but uh, it, it is for me. The, the future is rushing into the present. And when we love our neighbor as ourselves, when we uh, set aside Christ as Lord in our lives, actually we're making the present known or we're making the future known in the present. That's what holiness is about. And that's what the Christian life is all about, is living in the joy of what is uh, before us and what God has promised to us. And so Act 1 and Act 2 and Act 3 actually do matter because God created a world and he created good. He created material world. He didn't make a mistake when he created the trees and the, and the oceans and the dry ground. He didn't make a mistake when he created the leopard and the giraffe and the, and the parakeet and the bald eagle. And he sure didn't make a mistake when he created you. You see, God didn't make a mistake making a, a, a material world and then say, ah, you know, where, where their action really is at is in the immaterial world. No. Act 1 is a very important act because Act 1, God made a material world. Your body matters. How you use your body matters. You are an embodied person. You can glorify God with your body, the way you eat, the way you protect it, the, the way you share it with other people, and the way you don't share it with other people is, uh, is, is a good thing. Act 1 is important because we see that God loves the material world. I don't know about you, but when a, a secular environmentalist loves the world more than I do, it, it puts me to shame. And there should, be no, there should not be a secular environmentalist who has a greater view of the created order than you do. And uh, you should not let anybody care more about the protection and the beauty of the created order than, uh, than a Christian should. Um, you should treasure a, a good hug. I don't know if, if that's your love language, and for some of you, maybe you've been abused and that that's a difficult thing. In, in the new heavens and new earth, a hug will be grand, and I hope you can experience it that way. I hope you can experience a hike. Those are, those are things that are foretastes of the new heaven and new earth. We're called to extend Eden to the ends of the earth, and, the, and Eden will be extended to the ends of the earth, to the outermost edges of the cosmos, in fact. In Act 1, God is with them. Right? Act 2 comes in and we go into exile. We're kicked out of the garden. But the, God's place is not out there somewhere. God's place is with us. And as we get to Revelation uh, 21, you'll see three times in one passage, he says, God will be with us. God will be with us. God will be with us. God's place is with us, not apart from us. And he longs to be with us and to restore us in that way. In Act 3... We have this uh, promise um, uh, that, that, uh, that now that sin has come into the world, God's not changing the plan. Redemption's going to come. It's going to be harder than what it was, but redemption is going to come, and it's going to come in its fullness. I don't know if you heard me when I was uh, uh, this morning talking about what the pro The prophets were not just poets who wanted to wax eloquently and get the applause for um, for, for the way in which they talked about renewal. 
uh, they were the instruments of God. They're messengers of God. They're, they're, they're prophets of God. They, uh, prophets are, have a very difficult job. Think of a prophet. Prophet's not so much a fortune teller as it is, but it has all the glory of a middle manager, right? <laughs> you, get to, you, get to tell, you get to be management spokesperson to the people. And sometimes the management spokesperson to the people is grand. You know, profit sharing is coming. We're all going to enjoy the beauty of a great bonus. But sometimes uh, God has difficult message. You've all turned away, and you need to repent. And, and so he brought prophets. And you think about the prophet Amos. You think about Jonah. You think about others who had very difficult. Jeremiah had very, very difficult messages uh, for people. The prophet Hosea is always my favorite, right? Do you remember? The prophet Hosea, here's the glory of the I want you to go marry a prostitute because this is what it's like to be in relationship with you. I want you to know the full glory of my relationship with you is like being married to a prostitute who goes and takes another lover constantly. The prophet had a very difficult job. So some, you know, prophet had to speak, you know, it's like it's the glories of a middle manager speaking for management. And then the prophet had to speak to God about the, the needs of the people. And, uh, but sometimes God gave the prophets just the, the glorious visions of what this new heavens and new earth would be like. And I read you this morning to you from Isaiah 35. I don't know if you remember, he, he said, I won't read the whole thing. He said, the wilderness and the dry land will be glad. The desert will, blossom, will rejoice and blossom like a crocus uh, it shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and sing. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, and the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord and the majesty of our God. I don't know if you've ever been to Israel, but outside of Jerusalem, very quickly it becomes very desolate land. And it's dry, and it's desolate, and it's, it's a very, very difficult uh, terrain. And uh, you get a real sense of it. You'll get a real sense of the glory of what Isaiah is saying here when you see that desolate land. It's, it's not too unlike some of the desert areas in California when you go out and they're just as dry as a bone and all you see is tumbleweeds. Well, God's going to make that into a beautiful, beautiful place. The, the psalmist in Psalm 98, I think, really just captures the, the beauty of new creation when he, when he says this. He says, sing to the Lord. A new song. Sing, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm and, and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his steadfast love and faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of God. Okay, this is both a present reality and then a future reality. And then, he get, and then he then he invites the, the world in. He says, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. Can you, can you hear the chorus? Not just the Coca-Cola commercial. Can you, what if the world sang? Yahweh, Yahweh. You don't want to hear me sing. But what if the world sang? This is what the vision is, is that the world will come together and sing in the praises of God, but not just the people of the world. It says, sing praises to the Lord with the lyre and with the lyre and the sound of melody, with trumpets and the sound of horns, make a joyful noise before the king, the Lord. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. 
Let the world and all those who dwell in it, let the rivers clap their hands and let the hills sing for joy together before the Lord for he comes to judge the earth. To, to judge is to make right. The, 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 we, we think about judgment. We think about somebody shaking their finger. Judgment is shafat in the, in the Old Testament. Is, is the world making right. It's putting the world right. And so the, 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 the whole world, the, the people of the world, the people of every nation, the, the fish that are in the sea, the, the trees that are on the ground, the, the whole world is teeming with joy because the Lord is finally coming to put the world right. Let the sea roar and all that fills it, the world and all those who dwell it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the hills sing for joy because he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. You see, there will be a day in which... Everything in the world will be in its proper place, and everyone will be doing that which God had intended for it at the beginning, and, and it will be grand. When we worship God and we sing these words, what we're doing is we're getting a vision for Act 6, the world renewed and the world restored. It's a picture of joy. It's a picture of wholeness. It's a picture of shalom. Do you know what... She, have you experienced shalom? Do you know what God's desire for you in shalom? Shalom is, is well-being in every area of life, in every facet, in every area of life that we're experiencing shalom. And that's what God has for us. Shalom, true shalom, not imaginary shalom, not ethereal shalom, not otherworldly shalom. This world made new shalom, and you can be an instrument of that shalom today. That's what Act 5 people do. We're an instrument of the shalom that, that when when you, when you put on Christ, when you live in light of the gifts and the joy and the glory and the, and the, and the gracious gift that he's given to you, then there's a smell of the kingdom wherever you go. And, there's a, and, and you're enacting that kingdom. Uh, Acts 3.24, uh, Peter uh, concludes, he says, Indeed, all the prophets from Samuel on have spoken and foretold of these days. And you are heirs. You are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. I hope I'm getting through a little bit to give you the, the joy and the privilege of who you are in Christ, but you are an heir. The, the prophets foretold and people longed for th literally thousands of years. People longed for the day it would come. The days come. The days come. And you're a recipient of, and you're an heir of this great gift. Does it show in the way you live? Are you reminded of that? Do you think more about what you don't have than what you do have? Is the timing difference really just grating on you? If you're an heir, you will, there will be a day in which you have all things. You will lack for nothing. In many senses today, you actually do lack for no, you lack for no good thing. I will tell you that. You lack for nothing that you need between now and then. You'll have a lot more someday, but you actually today lack for no good thing. You have a gracious Father who provides all that you need. God gives the Apostle John just an unbelievable view. Uh, the, as I said, the revelation means the unveiling, right? It's that there's, there's a veil the, the, throughout the revelation. Uh, um, uh, 
God, God tells us that the, the, actually the, the space between his space and our space is actually not very far away. Jesus is not far away. There's, there's, it's almost like an, another dimension that separates us, that there's a, there's a veil that separates this, this, reality of the, that, this reality that's to come and the reality of Jesus, but it's just a veil. And, and what in the book of Revelation, it's, it's, it's difficult language, but I would just encourage you into it. And I have some great commentaries I give you suggestions for. Uh, Daryl Johnson wrote a great commentary, very easily understood. But, but what, what uh, God did for John is he, is he just sort of opened that veil to, to, to give a view of the, of the life that we have for us and of the reality that's going on and, 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 the, and the struggles that, that, that are going on. Um, and he gives John this view. But one of, the, one of the views he gives John is the most beautiful view, I think, in Revelation 21. And I, I just can't get over this view. In Revelation 21, he says, And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I already sort of said that, is that it's not that there's no ocean, it's that there's no chaos anymore. What would it be like for you to live in a world where there's no longer chaos, no longer chaos in your family life, no longer chaos at work, no longer chaos when we turn on the news and we read about ISIS or we read about um, injustices in, the, in, the, in, in law enforcement or in the penal system in our, in our own country about people cheating. What would it be like to live in a world with no chaos? Well, that's, that's what you're destined for. That's what we're made for. And honestly, you're an inst- you, your commissioning is to be an instrument of shalom today. Your, your job is not to just wait and hope that God will make the chaos go away. Sometimes people wonder, why has it taken so long for God to bring the kingdom in its full? I think part of it is that we're not taking up the job, that he's going to do it through, the, through, through his spirit, and it will be something that we can't do on our own, but we are instruments, that, that God is going to use the instrumentality of the human person. I also think he's just not done. We have lots of kids. My, I... I there's a sense in which I'd love for Jesus to come tonight and to make all things new, but there's also a longing that I have that, that maybe I would have great-grandchildren and that my great-grandchildren could share in that with me. So I don't know, but what I do know is that I'm an ambassador for this kingdom, and I'm an ambassador now, and I need to take that up. And that part of being an Act 5 person Part of being a person who's in mission in San Jose, who's living a missional life in the Bay Area, is to understand that. Your neighbor doesn't have to understand that for you. If you're, if you're a foretaste of the shalom of Christ, you will be a good neighbor. Like, they're not going to kick you out of the neighborhood, right? He continues, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. I know there's an exception to this, but I don't know any husband who doesn't think his bride is beautiful. And uh, the, 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 the Jesus and God in the, in the Bible is the bridegroom, and, his, and we're his bride. And it's a picture of what we were made for, that union between ourselves and, and God. And if you don't think you're beautiful, I want you to know that the God who made you does, and he longs for you. And, and you know what? I, I feel confident. When you get a, in, a, in a group of, of this size, people have said things to you that have hurt you and made you not feel beautiful. And, and I hate that. 
you bear his image and you have your scars. But let me just tell you this. If you belong to him, God longs for you as, uh, as the most perfect husband longs for his bride. And if you're a husband, uh, I want you to know that your job for your own bride is to show her the way that Christ longs for her. That's your example. That's what it's all about. To be a husband is to treat your bride, to give her a foretaste of her true husband. And if you're a bride, um, it really goes the same way. Your example is Christ. Uh, is, to, is to empower and to love your husband as Christ loves his bride, the church. Um, marriage is such a privileged, privileged uh, uh, opportunity and uh, it's not to say singleness is not a privilege. Privilege. I'm just trying to say to the married people, is that your job is not to, your job, is not to uh, get what you can get from your spouse. Uh, I'll quote the Princess Bride again: "Prepare to die." <laughs> your job is to die for your spouse. Every everybody, when I do premarital counseling, I say, "Welcome." To premarital counseling, prepare to die. <laughs> I do it to startle people, but it's really true. But here's the, here's the glory of it. By dying, you find life, and you give life to your spouse. And, uh, and it's, it's true for our friendships, too. For those of you who aren't married, it's not. Um, it, you have opportunities to die for your friends and to give your life in, in the proper way, and in the appropriate way for your friends and to love them well. Um, but for, for, for married people, and as you, as you think about your spouse, don't think about a person that you're going to consume that's going to make you, you have your bride. You have your bridegroom. You ha- his name is Jesus. Um, what you want to do with your bride or your bridegroom is to is to uh, love them in such a way that they become more like their future glory self, that you become less and they become more. And the magic happens when you're both doing it at the same time. And uh, lots of fights can be uh, alleviated when you're doing that. You can say something like this to your spouse. You know, I know that you have my best interests at part. I know that it's your desire to help me become more like my future glory self. But when you say that about me, or when you treat me like that, it doesn't feel like it's building me up. Can you explain to me or can you help me understand what you're trying to accomplish in that? And you say, those are a lot of words, Rod. That's a complicated theological... No, that's the truth of it, right? If we assume that and we give each other that, that permission, that very precious, that very precious position uh, in each other's lives, then we can settle a lot of things when we assume that they have our best interests at heart. And when it doesn't feel like that, then we can come up for air about that. And anyway, I don't want to go off on marital counseling. I just want to say that, that uh, there's, a really, there's a really great, th- this is really practical uh, for us. And uh, he says in verse 3, Then I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them, and he will be with his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Um, when somebody repeats something three times in one sentence, we should listen to that. And three times in this one sentence, he makes this one point. God will be with you, right? Now the dwelling of God is 
with men, with persons, with all people is what it means. And he will live with them. And, and they will be his people and God himself will be with them. Uh, our space is with God. And God cannot stand sin. And God is going to alleviate sin from the world. And one day he will do it in its completion. And one day we'll be with him. Exile will be completely over. There's a sense in which exile is over now. If you've, if you've tasted the freedom of, your, of what Christ has done for you and the finished work of the cross and in his, in his defeat of this power of sin and death and hell uh, in, in rising from the dead, you, you've had a sense of the exile is over, but, the, but there's still a lot of labor left to be done. Kind of like, uh, you know, the, in, in, the, in the rearview mirror of history, uh, D-Day was a very important, it was really the beginning of the end, wasn't it, of World War II. The Allies had captured Normandy. D-Day had happened, and, and in, sitting in 2015, it's easy to say, hey, the war was over, right? But there was a, there was a lot of mop-up operations until VE Day, until victory in Europe Day, until the victory was complete in Europe. And there's a sense in which the, 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 the now and the not yetness of the kingdom is kind of like D-Day has come, but VE Day stands before us. And remember the, remember the sailor kissing the woman in, the, in Times Square? That's VE Day for us uh, one day, and that will be our future. But VE Day has not come in its, in its completion. But one day it will, and God will be with us, and he will wipe every tear from our eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Everything. Everything new. Restoring everything. I, I, let me give three just sort of uh, conclusions that I want to share. Uh, one is this. Uh, first, it tells me that God cares about this place. Uh, God cares about our stewardship of the earth. God cares about our stewardship of our bodies. Uh, there should never be an environmentalist who loves the earth more than you love the earth, uh, or a secular environmentalist that loves the earth more than This vision shows that we were created for an embodied experience. Your body is not a punishment to you. When, when God finishes with you, you will be a human person, okay? A fully human person. Your problem is not your humanity. Your problem is your sin. My problem is not my humanity. My problem is my sin. Uh, my only human, I, I said it last night and I'll say it again. I hate that expression. I'm only human, right? You're missing it completely. You're gloriously human. You're beautifully human. What you are is sinful and rebellious. Repent. God has made, had done something about that. And uh, enjoy that. Enjoy the refreshing that Peter had talked about there. Second is that, um, that uh, if anybody is in Christ, they're destined for glory. That, uh, you know, um, the older I get, the more my back hurts, my feet hurt, my head hurts, my eyes are going away. And uh, I can only imagine as it gets further and further that I'm going to be. But uh, I'm made for, there will be a day in which I will run better and enjoy all these good things. And frankly, I want to run today, though, you know, and I want to run and enjoy it. And I want to take good walks. And uh, there's, nothing, there's nothing more godly uh, than to go take a good walk. There's nothing more godly than to, than to uh, enjoy a work day, uh, pulling uh, non-native uh, invasive species in your, on the side of your hill and getting rid of those so that the, the, the plants can flourish that were made to be there. Um, 
God's going to make all things new. He's going to make your person new. And I, I pray that you would enjoy it now. And um, the third thing I'd just say is that our job today is to become more and more like our future glory selves. If, you're, if you are somebody's spouse, your job really is to help your spouse become more like they'll be in glory. And, and let's just be honest. Um, we spend a lot more time positioning, don't we? We spend a lot, time, a lot more time thinking about what we could get. Um, the, the fact of the matter is, is that we probably treat our spouses more like a consumer product than we do um, this glorious gift that God's given us. Let me give you some encouragement here. Uh, repent and start fresh tonight. Your spouse is not a consumer product. Your best friend is not a consumer product. Your child, quite frankly, is not a consumer product. Um, the person uh, next to you is, is somebody who bears the image of God and was made gloriously. And if they're in Christ, they will be fully glorious. And that's your job, is to help them and to help yourself become more like your future glory self. I'll end with this. I, I hated the movie Titanic. Um, I, I, you know, that scene with, oh, I'm the king of the world. It makes, I, I hate it. Um, um, but uh, I don't know why I hate it. I just, I don't, I don't like, I didn't like that relationship and I didn't feel it was honoring and so it just kind of bothers me. Um, and you don't care about that. But, but the, the, the movie ends in, in a very, very interesting way. Um, I don't know if you remember, if you saw the movie Titanic, it would be worth just Googling the end of the movie or renting it and watching the last six minutes of the movie. But um, the woman, the, the, the star of the show is a woman who survives the, uh, the Titanic, and uh, she's an old woman, and, um, and she's re basically the story is her recalling this, uh, her occasion of being on the Titanic on that maiden voyage when it sank. And... Um, and it shows this old woman who's in bed, and she's, and, and then it shows the pictures of her life uh, next to the bed, and it sort of goes over her face, and it's a very wrinkled old face, and it goes over to these pictures of people that were in her life, and then, and then the next picture goes into the submarine who found the Titanic, and the, and the, and the sort of the, the ruins of the Titanic underneath the, the, underneath the ocean, resting on the ocean floor with all the decay and on that. And, it, and, the, and the submarine goes into the Titanic. And as it goes into the Titanic, um, the, it, it transfers from the, the brokenness of the, the Titanic on the, on the ocean floor to the glory of the Titanic when it was in its fullness. And, and as it's just, it's just a magnificent transition from sort of this greenish, black and whitish greenish to, to, the, to the living color of the glory of the, of the deck of, or the, the runway in the Titanic. And as this runway, as it goes down the runway of the Titanic, it becomes more and more color and more and more vibrant and more and more beautiful. And it's just, it's just strikingly beautiful. And, and, uh, and it leads into uh, the dining room of the Titanic. And as the, the doors, as you come to the doors, the doors open before the Titanic, or open into the into the dining room, I'm sorry. <clears throat> they open into the dining room, and there in the dining room, um, everybody's waiting for her. And uh, they, they've been waiting for her. It's, there's, there's anticipation 
that she's going to uh, be there. And when she comes in the door, uh, you can tell on the faces of the people that she's just greeted with joy, um, that uh, everything is in its right place, that um, a feast has been prepared, and the feast is, is awaiting her. And uh, as she comes in, you know, she, she is greeted by this whole people, and the, and, the, and the beauty of the place is just magnificent, and the chandeliers and the upper deck, and as she goes up, she is reunited with her true love. And I think that is actually a picture of what we're destined for. Uh, that there, there will be a day in which we're no longer old and wrinkled, or you know, maybe you can't imagine yourself old and wrinkled, but it'll come soon enough, um, but in which we're old and wrinkled, and we will be made new. And that is a picture of what God has for us. If Jesus rose from the dead, remember I said how it all rests on the resurrection? If, if, it, if Jesus didn't raise, rise from the dead, we should eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow. It would be much it would be a much better use of our time tomorrow to go and get some lattes and read the Chronicle than it would be for us to worship in the morning. But if it's true, and friends, it is true, Jesus has overcome death, then, then our future is secure. It's just timing difference between here and there. And God has called us to be agents and instruments of that. Can you know something that your neighbor doesn't know? You're not left-handed. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this uh, magnificent vision that you've given us for uh, embodied, rich fullness of life. And Lord, we pray that uh, you would give us uh, freedom in our imagination to uh, imagine the glory that you've, you've made for us and the glory that you've prepared for us and the glory that you have for us. And Lord, I pray that um, as you give us a vision for this glory, Lord, that you would actually also empower us to be instruments and agents of that vision in our daily lives, that we would live in the security and in the hope of knowing that there's a, a party that is planned and that we are the most honored and special guests and that you cannot wait to greet us in, in our bodies and in the fullness of life. So, Lord, thank you for this vision, and I pray that uh, as we prepare to go out and live missional lives in the Bay Area, that we would live in the full knowledge that this is our future, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.